Welcome to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a program featuring folks around their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser, and I use he, they pronouns. In this show, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. I am so happy to be back with you now, after passing the reins over to the very capable hands of Olivia Peruk, who produced the last five amazing episodes of Next Wave. Definitely go listen to those if you haven't had a chance yet. But now, let's get right into my conversation from this month. My name is Rachel Ives. My pronouns are she, her. I'm kind of a generalist, I guess. I do digital content marketing, I do bartending, I do volunteer work, I work with Ellsworth Pride, I work at Heart of Ellsworth, I work at Fogtown Brewing. Um, Yeah, at the moment, those are my three primary hats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do a little bit for all of those. So I'm originally from Indiana, um, rural Indiana, middle of Cornfield, Indiana, And I moved from there after college to the Denver, Colorado area. And I lived and worked there for a few years until the pandemic. And then in the mid, the middle of the pandemic, I moved across the country to Maine, to Ellsworth, Maine specifically. And I love it. I've been here since 2020. Um, Yeah, but it feels like my time here is kind of brief. So for what it is right now anyway, but it does feel like a home-shaped place that I'm excited to return to in the future. Mm -hmm. What was that like coming here, being a young person coming to Maine? I mean, my experience was pretty, I mean, I don't want to say it's standard because it was middle pandemic, like no vaccines yet. Everyone's still very much in the don't get out of the car at the grocery store mode of socialization. So moving to an entirely different place where you're not expected to socialize or get to know anyone um, and where you literally couldn't even if you wanted to because everyone's wearing masks and you don't know who's under the mask and all you know are people's eyes and if they wear a distinctive mask, great. Um, But yeah, so moving mid-pandemic to Ellsworth felt very isolating, but it's not that extraordinary of a story given how isolating the whole world was at the time. Um, I moved with my job and I was already working remote. So on top of the isolation of the pandemic, I was also just living and working alone 24-7 for months on end. And yes, I had Zoom calls with my team who was based all over the country, none of whom I'd met in real life at that point. (laughs) Um, Yes, I had those calls like every day, but that wasn't enough to feel a sense of community at all. Um, And it was a very stressful job. So I was working at Experian Marketing Services. I was working as a B2B content marketer. Um, which basically means I was marketing to marketers about how to use consumer data to market to consumers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which was pretty meta. And it was very intellectually stimulating, but it was very isolating and very stressful. Um, It was stressful in like a 
it's a competitive sort of job. Way. It's a very competitive job. It's also like one of the most lucrative ones I can think of because yeah. data is just gold. It's it is it's gold. one of the most valuable commodities there is right now. Yes, exactly. And to be selling it to businesses, which have more money than any individual person you can think of, except for the handful that we would all exactly <laughs> think of. Right. <laughs> um, but to be selling it to corporations, um, those are big markets and those are big dollars. And if you have a good product, if you've got good quality consumer data and you're making sure that it's safe and following all of the regulations and all of the things that a credit bureau would be sure to do at every phase of obtaining and maintaining and selling that data. I mean, that's a lot of stress, but there's also the stress of the cognitive disconnect of, yes, we have this private data that is safe enough to sell to companies, but it's still something that like people don't have a choice to consent to give. Like you either consent to give your data or you aren't part of the digital world. Mm -hmm. You don't really, it, it's a false choice. Like you either accept the terms and conditions or you opt out of you're totally disconnected exactly. from all of that. Yeah. So having to ha having to bridge that cognitive gap every day was a lot. Um, and also just mm, I didn't have a ton of support on the team that I was on at the time. So I was like I was working alone in my office, which looked great because I'd put so much effort into making my space look nice because yeah. if I'm going to be alone, I, I might as well be in a beautiful room. <laughs> um, so I would have like mental breakdowns in this office, home alone with nobody but my dog and like having a panic attack at 10 a.m. because I have to shoulder the weight of so many people's jobs because they're just isn't enough support. And I don't know any company that has an, all of the labor support that it needs in order to achieve its goals. Oh yeah, I can't name a single one. No. Um, but shouldering the labor of all of that and the cognitive disconnect and the ethical concerns and the isolation and, 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 and it was a lot. Um, and so that's a, a lot to be taken on on top of life at that point. In time. Yeah. On top of 2020, on yeah. top of the political anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. And I like I was also very I was listening to the news every day. I was listening to media every day. And this was like this was election period. Just I couldn't I couldn't do all of that and square spending 40 plus hours a week, which I was definitely spending more than 40 hours a oh, week yeah. on this job. Um, I couldn't square all of that with spending all of my time doing something that I didn't think was ethically aligned with my own core values. Mm -hmm. And so I broke, I, I just, I had to call it. I had to say, I'm sorry, but I can't. So by May of 2022, yeah, by May of 2022, I'd, I'd given my notice to a company that I was making really good money at and that I had a lot of potential to keep going in that career. And 
there's a lot of it that I do still find fulfilling, like a lot of the work of creating a campaign and getting people on board and working with graphic designers and working with like marketing operations and working with all of these very talented and very skilled people to create something. I still really enjoy that. But I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know the guy behind the bar. I didn't know you. I didn't know anybody. Like there, there was just no sense of community in Maine for me yet because I'd been living and working alone. Like I would get in my car and be like, I haven't been in my car in seven days. (laughs) Like I haven't been out of my house properly in seven days. So. And your experience of moving to Ellsworth during a pandemic with that job that isolated you Mm -hmm. on top of the world isolating you. I mean, I didn't leave. I've grown up in down East Maine and I didn't go anywhere during the Mm -hmm. pandemic. I was still with the same community. Yeah. And I definitely got very isolated at the start of the pandemic. But I still went and, you know, hung out in a field with some of my friends and waved at them. See, that's lovely. Shouted across to them. I still got to see them. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. But that wasn't available. I occasionally had a Zoom call with some friends that I'd made in Denver. Mm -hmm. I occasionally Zoomed with other friends that I had in Indiana or, you know, wherever I'd met people over the years and that helped, but it was far from enough. And I'm, I'm an endlessly creative person and an endlessly curious person. So with all of the time that I had alone, I was just in my own creative space thinking constantly. Mm -hmm. My brain was constantly moving on like, okay, so what are my core values? How do I live them? How do I apply that to my day to day? Can I make any money doing that? What are my long-term goals? What are my short-term goals? I was also in the process of like, my marriage was very new. Um, I also got engaged during the pandemic. There was a lot going on for me personally at that time too. So Mm -hmm. I had a lot of self-development happen in that isolation. And I'm still reaping the benefits of that. If That's a funny way to put it, but that's exactly what it is because I did so much self-work in all of that isolation that now that I'm putting myself back into the world properly, I'm starting to feel the growth that I did. Oh, I want to ask you about college. Yeah. Your college experience. Um, and for context, you know, there's a there's a range of college experiences, but mm-hmm. the, you know, the Western way, specifically the American way of, you know, you have to get a college degree because it's, it's the way you have to do education and you have to be in lots of debt um, in order to get a solid education. Yeah. But the reality is, is that that doesn't really mean anything. And you can be just as jobless or low income after a college degree as before. Yeah. Um, anyway, what is your experience? The the pressures on you from society or your family, yeah. all of that, your, your own desires and wants. Yeah. So I'm going to back it up to before I got into college, we're going to talk about high school, Rachel. Okay, cool. Because, oh man, <laughs> I, I was just, I was also very always been like an escapist person. I will happily just escape into my own imagination for a long time. And that's what I did. I was just like, I don't actually have to go to college. I'll just, I'll go work at the casino and I'll be a blackjack dealer and (laughs) I will have an apartment with a mattress on the floor and I will deal cards at night and I will write during the day. (laughs) 
<laughs> that will be my experience. And that was your plan. That was my plan. And I liked it. I yeah. thought it was cool. I, I imagined the little crate box that I would have and that I'd put my laptop on. I'm like, this is, that'll be fine. Um, but <laughs> that's definitely not what happened. <laughs> um, on top of just being in the public school current that I was in in rural Indiana, where the current will take you into a university. Like you can do very little work and still end up at a state college. Like, and that's kind of what happened for me. I also, I really liked Purdue University and one of my friends applied there and got in and she also, she was a driving force for me, peer pressure, right? So <laughs> she had encouraged me to apply to this high school that I ended up having to go to my senior year because my first high school shut down. It's public school experience. Um, so she encouraged me to apply there. And then when college time came around, she encouraged me to apply to Purdue. And when I talked to my dad, I was like, okay, dad. So, I mean, if I don't go and do the blackjack dealing thing, like <laughs> what else do you think I'd be good at? And he was like, well, you'd be really good at hosting events, which turns out he was very right, by the way. Yeah. And so I looked at Purdue's event management program, but it really wasn't an event management program. It was more like hospitality and tourism or something like that. Mm -hmm. So all of the, most of the classes, like 99.9% .9 of the classes were about how to run a restaurant or a hotel. And those are really cool. And I wouldn't mind owning like a hostel or an Airbnb or a B&B in general. I think that would be a really fun experience. Like that's just not what I wanted to do. And so uh, I applied, but it wasn't the right fit. And then I got into IPFW, which was IU Purdue Fort Wayne, um, which is a satellite campus. And Indiana if you haven't been, is it's there's not a ton to do, but there are a ton of people, okay? So a satellite campus there in Fort Wayne is the same size as the largest campus in Maine. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> there were a lot of people, but that campus was a much more, it was a smaller pond and it felt a bit better for me. It was like a completely fresh fresh start. I didn't know anybody in Fort Wayne when I went. I, that's a trend for me. I will frequently move to a place where I know no one um, and build a family there. So yeah, um, I moved there and I went and I I was in the HTM program, the Hospitality Tourism Management Program for a while. And then I flunked out my freshman year, my spring semester. Um, I like got all A's and B's my fall semester, but spring came around and I was just burned out. I was like, this is not right. I don't want this path. This is this current that I got in is taking me someplace. I don't want to go. So I took time off. I took a semester. I did not give myself a whole year because I knew myself and I was like, I will straight up go to a casino and just blackjack deal <laughs> if I take too much time. Um, so I'm like, I'm just going to give myself one semester to figure this out. So I gave myself one semester to move out of my parents' house, find my own apartment and just explore. And when I went back to my um, guidance counselor and told her like what I was thinking or what I wanted to do and that I was just genuinely curious about things, I just wanted to explore some more and to learn as much as possible. She was like, you know, there's this program called general studies. And I'm like, what, what, why did no one make me aware of this? That sounds phenomenal. And she was like, yeah, you can graduate with it, but it's like kind of a backup plan for most people. It's like 
the degree you'll get if you flunk out of everything else. And I'm like, but can I just make that my primary plan? Because studying anything and everything is exactly what I want to do. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, great. Okay. So it's like, it's this blank canvas that I can paint whatever curriculum I want on. There are just like some guidelines, like you have to take this many science classes and this many arts classes or whatever, you know, but I can build my own curriculum within that. And so I did. I, I finished my bachelor's program having learned things about like terrorism and tyranny because I didn't understand the news. Every other word on the news in the mid 2010s was terrorism. Mm -hmm. How do you experience a world where you don't understand the verbiage? So I had to learn about that. And I wanted to learn about how to create content online because I read a lot as a as a high schooler, going back to that, like I wanted to read and I wanted to write and I volunteered at a library and I love, I love books. I loved media and I love TV shows and movies. And so I was like, I want to know how people make content, especially on the internet, because it's obviously so huge. And so I took classes on web design and photography and like, uh, all of the things also technical, yeah, creative media and writing. I got, um, minor in public relations because I am still interested in event planning. And it turns out that's a lot of public relations is bringing people together for things. Um, And I did end up taking an event management class, which was the only class I would have taken in that whole hospitality (laughs) and tourism management program that was at all related to what I wanted to do. There was only one class and I ended up taking it anyway. So Uh I did get that. I even got like event management certified. Yeah, that was... That was my college experience and I have no regrets about that program and the choice that I made and how I made it my own. I have used my degree every day since I graduated and I'm the only person I know who can say that. Like that's wild but also I knew that going in. Like my dad even said in the same conversation where he was like you would be great at hosting events. He also said, but you know, like 90% of people don't use their bachelor's degree. And I'm like, that's crazy. But I just went for it anyway. I'm hearing you talk about all this and it is kind of startling to me, honestly, because we've known each other a little while. We've we've talked about some of this, but this specific piece of, of your background is so relatable for me. Because I, I think a lot of people who are familiar with this area of Maine would be like, oh, what you're describing is exactly what COA is all about, College mm-hmm. of the Atlantic and Bar Harbor, yeah. where I went. And it's like a whole school that's dedicated to that, mm-hmm. where everything is what you make of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that mentality. And when I discovered COA, when I got connected to the community and I realized, you know, like I'm this endlessly curious person, I want to learn more. I was like, grad school. This is a path that I'm still on now. Um, And COA has a lot of appeal to me in that way. Like when I started describing my bachelor's experience with folks, they were like immediately, oh, have you heard of COA? Like that's the whole concept. I'm like, that sounds really cool. But I'm looking at it and like the education that I want now is one that I think I'm just going to have to go to a global stage in order to get. Mm So that's where my sights are at the moment. Yeah. Finding somewhere further afield for grad school. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not that COA doesn't have a lot of cool stuff to offer, I'm sure. I just It's the weirdest combination of extremely broad and extraordinarily limited. Mm. Um because you can go very very broadly in your studies at COA. Mm-hmm. But there's only like a specific path you can go down with each topic, you know, depending on the specific professor in that field or the resources available to you or the people yeah. available to you. So for me, the question that I'm approaching grad school with is a philosophical and scientific. And I think I've put it to you before, but maybe I haven't. The question is, what are the physics of decision? That's broad. <laughs> That's broad, but it's also very specific. <laughs> so yes. um, I want to answer that in as many ways as I can. I want to ask as many people as possible that I can, what do you think are the physics of decision? Um, because that's just that's my whole religion. Can you go further into that? Yeah. So one of the things that I spent a lot of my mental energy on when I was in isolation was figuring out my belief system. What the heck is it? And this is something that I've talked about a lot over the last year or so. Um, but it's just that the belief systems that I was raised in in America were capitalism and democracy and both of those prize choice. That's, that is their shared core value. That is their common denominator. You either vote for something or you choose to purchase something or you choose to make something. You're choosing a representative. You're choosing a product. You're choosing a service. Either way, you're choosing something. And so that on top of my very limited understanding of what the multiverse might be and what time and space are and all of, <laughs> all of those very heady things. Um, and just where I'm at mentally, as much as my brain can wrap itself around what the heck is the universe, um, I put decision as a creator, as the thing that creates life and that life creates. It's like a feedback loop, I think. I think the way that I see it and the way that I explain it to people is that every moment is a choice and everything is making a choice in that same moment. So it expands infinitely and endlessly in all directions. And that's kind of how we understand space to be growing, right? Mm -hmm. Growing endlessly and infinitely into whatever. (laughs) And, um, And that there are infinite possibilities that you know, we only see one of because we only live one reality or our brains can only, you know. We have a very limited scope. We have scope a very of, limited scope of what reality is yeah. and what choices are being made. Um, but also I think that, and for me, the belief that choices, this creative entity or whatever you want to call it, um, it also makes room for what the heck are dreams, you know? Like, if anything can travel through space and time, maybe it's the human imagination or imagination in general. That'd be really cool, right? Like, so you can explore all of the what ifs. If something had been different, you can explore contrafactual history, which is a word I learned the other day. From, <sighs> yeah, a friend of mine. Um, or you can explore what ifs of the present, like what if this person feels a certain way about me or explore what ifs about the future. What if we can make utopia like actually happen like there are what ifs in past present and future and 
being able to explore all of those with the human imagination is something that I really value. And it also, it's an exercise in what can we do better? What can we do next? And how can I make choices that help bring the world to what I hope it can be or what I envision for it? So um, I'm just personally curious. So hearing you say all that, you do, well, I'll just ask you, do you believe in free will? Yeah. 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 So for me, it's like, I do get this question a lot when I, when I talk about it, people are like, so do you believe in God? Do you believe in free will? Do you believe in agency? And I think absolutely. Like for me, like I said, every moment is a choice. You, I do think that there's probability. I think there are currents that we can get in that, you know, influence which direction we're going to go, especially if we're not actively thinking about our agency in any moment. You know, I think that, and I think this is something that that the internet is also exploring right now too. There are so many people who will put like a comment or a video online or something of like a child, just a child in a choir on stage. And it's clearly some sort of performance day. And the child in the front just like screams instead of singing. And the comment will be something like, he just realized he has free will. <laughs> like, you know, there, there are so many funny memes about it, but uh-huh. I do think it's true. And I think as long as you're aware that you have a choice I, and you're making choices, as long as you can stay present in the fact that you are a decision-making entity, that you have free will. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's the correct answer. That's just my know. belief system. So, I mean, I think that's the way with everything. Yeah. We don't have any solid answers on basically anything ever. Yeah. So, I have been asked, and it's a, it's a challenging concept to explain. But with this belief that decision and choices are the things that create each universe, then what is a god? Like, mm. and that's a pretty egotistical that it, it's, it very quickly becomes an egotistical thing, right? Like if, if I'm making choices, I am God and I don't mean right. it that way, but also you, there is, there is so much scripture and this is my, um, pastor grandfather, uh, experience coming through. But if the scripture says that like God made us in his image, I think if any if anything god might be just like a future state like we're just rolling into a future that we've chosen wow yeah that does make sense i think so in a very existential way yeah but it's like a marble rolling and i think of it as like when when i talk about each moment is a choice each moment it contains a decision like it's not casting a die. It's not flipping a coin. It's not 50-50. It's not one in six. It's not one in 20 even. It's like you are tossing a marble and whichever point you define on that sphere, and it's a sphere, so there are infinite number of points, right? Wherever that lands, whether you're looking at the side that lands on the ground or the side that lands facing you or whatever, that is the direction you're going. Like if that's the choice you made, that one point in the infinite sphere of possibility is the direction you chose. And I think depending on how it's thrown, like there's, it's more likely that it'll land with this side of the marble facing this direction, you know, but that's kind of how I think about it. And so we're all rolling into a future state that we chose. 
I feel like I just kind of melted your brain a little just bit. Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. <laughs> I mean, I think just I, I've been rolling with such a like my mental health just kind of became atrocious with the with mm. the start of the pandemic and yeah. hasn't really recovered. And I just haven't I used to think a lot like just just think, you know, mm. not about anything specific, but just think about stuff a mm. lot. And I haven't done that in so long. So I feel like you're just kind of like bringing that part of my brain back up and be like, it's like the the, the gears are turning again. Aww, so that's yay. really nice, actually. Oh, that's lovely. It's definitely a little rusty, but yeah. I'm glad. If that's my influence, I love it. I'm, I'm happy for that. There you go. Yeah. Let me know if you smell smoke. Um, <laughs> what are some aspects of being a young person specifically that you've encountered? Um, the parts of... Um, learning how to function in the world, mm. uh, hard parts that you've come up against in your own experience or really astoundingly amazing things yeah. that you've, you know, come across and experienced. Yeah. So I've turned 31 just not so long ago. And so my experience as a young person is... Uh, just being caught up in a current of choices made by other people. I'm going to keep it pretty philosophical, but that I think is the crux of it. It's when you're young, especially in the United States, you don't have the same amount of autonomy that adults do. And when I say adults, I mean over the age of 35. Like mm -hmm. I don't even qualify. Like <laughs> I, I couldn't run for president yet. Yeah. So I don't have all of the rights of an American citizen right. yet because I'm not old enough. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> um, but I just, as a young person, you don't have the same amount of decision-making power. And that means that the choices that are made by other people, whether it's elected representatives or your teacher or your parents or your grandparents or whomever, there's just a road that you have to take for a while until you can until you're old enough to trailblaze or until someone else recognizes you as a trailblazer and says, okay, yeah, you can go off on your own and do your own thing. Um, and I, I think I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky to have been surrounded by people who trusted me to be a trailblazer of my own path. My mom, oh my God, I'm so grateful for my mom. She really has always said like, that I'm free to do what I want. Like I can dye my hair purple if I really want to. It'll grow back, you know, <laughs> like it's not a permanent choice. And so she always was really good at granting me agency and I'm really grateful for that. And that gave me a sense of independence a little earlier than some of my peers had. Um, but I don't know how much of that is also just my personality and being an independent person. Like I said, the trend of moving to a place where I know no one is something that I've done repeatedly over the years and that I also intend to do again, <laughs> not in the distant future. Yeah. So um, just as a young person, I always ruffled against choices that were being made for me because there are so many choices that I feel could be made better or could at least be made more conscientiously. And I think that there are a lot of young people who feel that way. 
I think that there are a lot of young people, particularly at this moment in the world, when the world is on fire, who believe that the choices that are being made by big oil executives and even consumer credit bureaus, um, I think that the choices that those executives make and that the representatives that we have make, whether to make their lobbyist friends happy or to make the people that they represent feel satisfied. I, I think young people have yet to be satisfied with the choices that are being made because none of them are in our best interest really. Well, not none of them, but there are just not enough that are being made in the best interest of democracy and our economy. Like I'm currently reading a book called The Crisis of Democratic Capitalism, <laughs> and it is written by a world-renowned economist, like Nobel Prize-winning economists have read his work and reviewed it and put testimonials on the back and been like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's an octogenarian, I think. He's been in economics his whole life and he has this scathing and very honest review of like this is a crisis it's not coming down the pike we are in the middle of it and that's a result of the choices that have been made by the adults in the room and as much as i can i want to just make more people aware that these are choices that they're making and that they have free will to make better ones, hopefully. <laughs> um. Sorry, my pants are very rustly. I didn't think about the rustle <laughs> factor on my bad. pants today. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thought about rustle factor on pants before. <laughs> <laughs> I have in the past, but not today. <laughs> My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and you're listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. How did you get into what you do right now? That's a great question, because what I do right now is a lot of things. You wear many different hats. I wear many hats, but I got into this. So in May of 2022, I was like, okay, deuces, corporate America. Yeah. Um, I was like, by a credit bureau, I'm going to go meet my neighbors. And I was working at a Starbucks, like zooming in on calls and also working on my resume. And my resume, I like stripped out all of the corporate experience that I had because none of it was pertinent to what I was about to apply to. And I was about to apply to the brewing company across the street from my apartment in Ellsworth, Maine. And I was like, so I need to go back to my customer service roots because uh -huh. I put myself through college. I was like, I was working constantly through college, mostly as a hostess or a server or um, at Forever 21 or wherever uh -huh. else. So um, I just went back to that experience and was like, I've worked in hospitality. I even kind of got an education in it <laughs> and uh please hire me i'll show up i'll do a good job <laughs> and so i i immediately got an interview and it was less of an interview than just like a conversation with my now manager who's like yeah i think let's give it a shot and cool so i got there and i met john stein who you've had on the show mm -hmm. um he's the owner of Fogdown brewing which is where i got my job um and 
that was just the coolest summer. I got to know the guy behind the Guy Fox mask. He, Kelton Corey, you know, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, I got to meet them all properly. All of these people that I'd walked across the street to grab a beer from. And I got to, I got to meet the community too, because everybody comes into this place. It's a third space. It's a community hub and it's just such a good vibe. Everybody who comes in is like, this is just such a nice place. And I'm like, yeah, it's got a great vibe, doesn't it? And I loved it. It was such a fun, exciting summer, but it was also like at the end of summer here in the coast of Maine near Acadia, the the traffic dies down a lot and there's not enough, uh, there's not enough coming in to make rent. (laughs) So so I was like, Hey, John, you know, everybody in the community because he just gotten elected city councilor too. And he also, he's a business owner. He's very well connected with everybody in the city basically. And I was like, you kind of know me, you know what I'm about, you know, where I come from and like, you know, the city, anybody you would put me in touch with. And he's like, immediately, I'm going to connect you with the heart of Ellsworth the executive director there needs some help. I think it'd be a great fit. And so I I reached out to the executive director and I was like, hey, can we grab a coffee sometime? I'd love to get to know what you do and see if I can be of help and sort of tap into those skills that I was using in the corporate sphere of digital content marketing where I'm creating social media campaign copy and I'm creating graphics and posters or whatever else that you need to host these community events. Um, so yeah, we connected and that was a really great fit for me, especially locally to be able to find that kind of a job right down the street was really, really cool. Um, and to, it also feels like the most organic way to get a job too. It's like, Hey boss, do you know any other places that I could also work? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I promise I'll still work for you (laughs) And, and because they do kind of compliment each other. One's more of a day job, one's more of a nights and weekends. So Yeah, um, that worked out really, really well. And then Ellsworth Pride is something that happened kind of through Fogtown, um, but also was something that I knew that I wanted to do before that. So I, like in in June of 2021, lamented that like Pride, it was still like everybody had vaccines and we were still coming out of the pandemic in 2021, right? Like we weren't fully ready to like get to know people yet, but Pride in the way that I had experienced it in Indiana and in Denver and here, it was always very like, let's go and let's see some concert or like, let's go and all be audience members of this thing. And it's really cool to be part of that community and to be, to be witness to all of this cool art, but it would be even nicer if there were an opportunity to connect and have a conversation and get to know friends and family within this community. Um, because especially in the LGBTQ space, like found family is such an important part of our culture. And through the pandemic, like everybody was struggling with isolation, but also being queer, I think displaces a lot of people. And I, I know that I felt displaced. Like I was, it's a diaspora sort of, I guess the, the, LGBTQ community just could use as many excuses to get together and find, to find intergenerational connection, to find friends also, especially because like it's expensive to live. (laughs) If you can find a roommate who's like cool with who you are and all of that, like that's really important to have a safe space. So, um, 
I knew that I wanted to get involved with Ellsworth Pride and see if I could bring a community building activity to the LGBTQ space in this area. And so I reached out to my bosses and I was just like at Fogtown, I was like, could I host a LGBTQ family gathering event here like regularly? Just say, hey, if you guys want to come down and there's going to be music, there's going to be games, like get to know each other. Um, And so I started that the first year that I was there and that went, I think, pretty well. Like at least half a dozen people would come every month to this LGBTQ family gathering at Fogtown. And I loved that. Um, But then at the end of the season, it was like, okay, I I still – there aren't enough people. Not not everybody's going to be able to make it out for these gatherings when it's January and it's cold and we don't have enough fires and s'mores. Um, So getting involved more heavily in Ellsworth Pride, the organization, the organization that hosts Ellsworth's big pride festival, Mm -hmm. um, that was really important and that became part of the family connection that I have here in Ellsworth. So I really valued like getting to – bring my skills to them too, to help them create promotional stuff for the events and also to MC even. That was such a cool experience. Um, yeah. Ellsworth Pride being my third hat was just a really natural fit and something that I'd sought out even before Fogtown. You know, a lot of people around our age, I feel like talk about how difficult it is making friends as an adult Mm. you know finding your people finding your community doesn't seem like you've had much trouble with that like once you figured that out and you left your your corporate job Mm. and you decided you know i need to i need to do what i want to be doing now yeah you did it yeah i mean truly like i said doing all of that thinking in isolation so much of the value that i got out of that was figuring out okay well if i'm the master of my little universe here Mm -hmm. if I'm the master of my fate what can I accomplish and putting my brain to use to be like okay cool so if I want to know my neighbors I need to work at a neighborhood place where people people go so yeah (laughs) adios uh (laughs) zoom calls (laughs) I'm gonna go work at a real person place so that's what I did and I also I'm I also embraced a part of myself that like I think when I was younger, someone must have said, you know, you're really shy. And then I like internalized that as I'm an introvert. I don't think that that was true. I just think, (laughs) I just think my little brain didn't know how else to like comprehend that. I'm a bit more outgoing than I think a younger me gave myself credit for. I also have a a touch of the histrionic. So like the entertainer, performer, artist is definitely there. And so making sure that I give that an outlet, um, helps me connect with people too. So being able to raise my hand for, Hey, does anybody want to MC pride? I'm like, ah, me, I'll do it. I volunteer. I will wear a sparkly costume. I will, I will happily do this. Um, so just raising my hand for the things that I'm genuinely interested in and that I have a lot of passion and energy about has helped me make connections with people too, because it's obviously connecting me with other people and it's connecting me with myself. And when I'm more myself and when I'm embracing all of that around people, they tend to be like, oh, hey, you know, I see you. You're doing something really cool. Like, I want to get to know you better. Yeah. And that's really 
That's lovely. And I'm so grateful to have experienced that in the last couple of years. You do seem like you are yourself. What a lovely thing to say. It's true. I mean, it, it's unique because I feel like it's it's rare nowadays. Not rare, maybe not rare is the, maybe rare isn't the right word, but hard to achieve. Because mm. mm. there's a lot of people who are themselves, but with a lot holding them back from that at the same time. Yeah, a lot of you know shame or oh. or you know embarrassment, self doubt. Extreme amounts of self-doubt. Crippling self-doubt. Yeah. I know so many people who are crippled by self-doubt. Like, and that's something that I'm just, oh my God. So just talking about my future for a little bit. We've talked a lot about my past, yeah. but like what's coming next for Rachel and Laurie? That's next on the list. Oh, I love it. I anticipated. Um, so <laughs> um, like I have to do battle with my own self-doubt. Like I am entering this phase of like, I'm really pursuing my own path now. Like when I have moved in the past, the big moves that I've made, they've been sort of or strongly influenced by other people. Hey, apply to Purdue and see if you get in. Cool. I'll do that, Cara. Thank you for that. My high school's best best friend's name was Kara. So, um, and hey, like moved to Denver. There's this really, like, there's a cool person there and there's a great, like, job market there, move there. And so I did. And then moving to Maine was with my now ex-wife. And, like, there were a lot of other very strong influences and currents that I was in. And now I'm, like, I'm captaining my own ship. I have to face the doubt that I have held back that that has held me back. I have to face the doubt that has held me back up to this point so that I can grab the wheel and hold on to it. And I have to do that in the context of my hometown. I have to do that with my family. And from from my very humble Hoosier roots. And I say that because being humble is part of being a Hoosier. <laughs> um, and a Hoosier, by the way, is someone from Indiana. Um, but that is part of the culture. And like I said, over the last couple of years, I've embraced more of my outgoingness. I've embraced more of my like performance. I've just embraced my bigger personality. And I have to find a way to keep that and hold that in Indiana for a little while because I need to spend time with my family before I go on this massive quest to figure out what are the physics of decision. Like <laughs> I need to spend some quality time with my family that I haven't run from my family, but I needed to grow and I needed to feel this expansive form of myself. <sighs> That's a big thing to say, but yeah, now that I've done that, I have to do that in a context that I feel like I'm much more likely to shrink because the people, I love my family. I'm not saying that, like, I think everybody deals with self-doubt. I think everybody does, mm -hmm. but they definitely do. And I have to, I have to have as much confidence in myself as I possibly can. 
So it's, it's, it's a struggle. I, it's, I'm going to keep fighting it, but it's going to be a battle for a while. And I'm just going to have to, I guess, prove my mettle to myself. What gives you hope? Great question. Um, well, my belief in agency gives me hope. <laughs> um, my there are so many good people out there in the world, Pepin. There are so many. Like I have met you. I've met the whole Ellsworth Pride Committee, who is just the most well-intentioned group of people. I've met so many well-intended people. There's so much good intention in the world. There is so much good intention in the world. I just, I need everybody to hear that and sit with that for a good long while. Mm -hmm. Go out and meditate by a lakeside somewhere and just feel how much good intent there is. I think people get bogged down in the intent of let's make as much capital as possible and hoard it because that is the intent of capitalism is let's <laughs> hold capital. And that is oh, that sucks as an intent and to, to, to build a whole engine economy around the intent of let's just hoard capital. That's terrible. And it like removes the freedom of other consents to exist and to, to also have as much say at the table. Like nonprofits have to fight tooth and nail. I know this now from personal experience, having worked at Heart of Ellsworth for almost a year, like Nonprofits, which have a mission that isn't capital driven, like they still have to rely on money. They still have to rely on funding. They still exist within this capital ecosystem, but they have so much good intent. You know, there are all of these nonprofits out there with such good intentions. There are all of these volunteer based organizations with such good intentions. There are millions of people that I've seen on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook who have really beautiful intentions for what they want the world to be, what art they want to make, what good they want to do for the environment. And even like just local good intentions, like my boss at Fogtown, he's just got really good intentions about how to be a business owner, how to be a city counselor, how to run a business and treat his employees like I'm surrounded by it locally. I'm surrounded by it in my digital algorithms. I'm surrounded by good intent. And I hold that when I think about hope. You and I met, and can I talk about this? Mm -hmm. About how you and I met. So Initially, I met you at the bar at Fogtown. Yeah. And my roommate has recently given me verbiage to describe a phenomenon that I have experienced throughout my whole life, but that I didn't have words for. And I'm really grateful for this. So they use the term a friend-shaped person. And that is just the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> so when I saw you at Fogtown, I was like, that's a friend-shaped person. My brain... <laughs> immediately clicked uh and also you have a very distinctive name <laughs> so yes. when you would come in and be like hey it's Pepin it's good to see you again Pepin um and also just like having having the experience of meeting you that way and then also um 
to meet you here at the radio station when I came in to talk to John Lenahan. Um, like, I do want to talk about that conversation just in brief, oh, just yeah. briefly, because you asked me what brings me hope. And the fact that I could come to a table with another person because of the good intentions of One Small Step and WERU and all of the organizations that made that possible, um, to, who made that conversation possible, and also Kara's, my, my boss at Heart of Ellsworth's um, good intention of recognizing that I do have this, uh, like, this extroversion um, and that he also has the inclination to have a conversation like that for Kara to recognize, hey, you both would consent to do this. I think that was really, like, that was apt. But also all of the intentions that made a conversation between myself and someone who holds really opposing beliefs. Well, I don't know that he necessarily holds it, holds super opposing. Well, he does, but he doesn't. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's so complicated. Um, and I definitely have to acknowledge that. But like the fact that he and I could come to an agreement about one of the most basic beliefs in my little belief system. And it's that everyone should be free to enact their will as long as their will doesn't infringe, does not infringe upon the will or well-being of others. Like, I know that's broad. I know that there's a lot of nuance there that needs to be fleshed out. I know that there's a lot to that, but the fact that he and I could at least agree on that one sentence, that brings me a lot of hope too. Then it brings me to my last question. Okay. With the qualifier that, you know, regret in your own life mm. is not healthy, it's not an, a really good thing. Reflection can be good, but mm -hmm. but regret isn't usually the best thing. Mm -hmm. um, is there something that you know now that you wish you knew a certain amount of time ago, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago? Okay, so... My question, as all of your questions do, goes through the same schema and the same belief system. I, I literally can't change anything about my past yeah. and still be in this moment. If I did so much as wink at a past self, then I would have made choices differently. And... I feel really good about where I am. As much struggle as I've been through in the last year, as much as I've been through, as much as all of us have been through, but as much as I've been through, I, I can't change anything. I wouldn't change anything. Um, my mom is proud of who I am. And I'm proud of my mom. And knowing that and 
just knowing how much I've grown over the last few years, I can't change any of that and also feel good about what my impact on the world might be. Like, I had to have made mistakes in order to learn from them. I have to keep making mistakes so that I can learn from them and do better. So no, I do live constantly with the idea of I don't want to die with a lot of regrets. I don't want to be on my deathbed and think, oh man, I wish I had gone skydiving. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd seen the tilt of the horizon. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to go with anything like that. And so that's how I think about regret on a daily basis. It's not, oh, I wish I'd done that thing differently. I mean, yeah, I do sometimes like I kick myself or I put my foot in my mouth or like, oh, gosh, dang it, you know? That's like, the reality of making mistakes. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. There's always going to be a little bit of that like eye-covering shame. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> moments of embarrassment. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, you have to make mistakes in order to learn from them. So I, I'm not going to wink at past self and be like, I'm not going to nudge her and be like, do something wiser because <laughs> she won't get wiser unless she f***s up. So, so there's maybe two answers that I'm hearing. One is just no, there's nothing that you wish you had known back then. And the second reality of that maybe is the whole encompassing experience of everything Rachel has made who you are now and you wouldn't change any of that for any reason. I mean, yeah. Like I, like if any, if any beam of light had hit my marble differently, you know, then the marble would have gone off on a different path. Mm -hmm. If any one tiny little breath of a thing had been different, I would be a different person. That's the understanding that I have. Like if I'd accepted an influence differently, I think there's definitely a probability, like I said, that I was more likely to end up here than other places. And I just have to believe that because this is the reality that I'm in. But I think if I could go back and wish anything to be different, I would be wishing myself to be a different person. And I'm, I feel okay about where I'm at. My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and this has been the Next Wave Radio Hour. I want to give a huge thank you to my guest today, Rachel Ives. Thank you also to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Sakaridis. Also, another thank you to Olivia Peruk for her amazing work producing the last five episodes. Those, along with all of our other episodes, are available on the WERU audio archives and as podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else you can get podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. I would absolutely love to hear from you. The Next Wave Radio Hour airs on the fourth Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Until next time, take care of yourself, okay? Okay.